0: And find in your Bibles, Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. We're going to take a few weeks out of the book of Acts. We'll come back to the book of Acts in January. But we're going to spend uh, today in Revelation. So it's deer season. I try to hunt as much as I can, which isn't that often. But now that the kids are all gone, opportunity strikes. I say, "Hey, Teresa, you want to you want to go hunting with me?" She looks at me, kind of funny. I said, "You can bring your book." Okay. So we go off. We drive to a spot, park the truck. She stays in to read her book. I get out to hunt. I said, "I'll be back in two hours because it's dark in two hours." So I'm gone for two hours. I come back. I left that way. Came back from this side. I thought this will be fun. Knocked on the window, scared her just a bit. And then I said, why are the lights on? She said, what do you mean? I said, the lights are on. Well, in a truck that's not supposed to allow you to leave the lights on, somehow we oversmarted the truck, and the lights were on for two hours. And so you can guess what happened next. Click, 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 click. Click, 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 click. No matter how many times I turned it, that's all that happened. And so... Um, Good news: cell phones worked, rescues were made, all that kind of stuff was good. Um, I'll tell you the rest of the story some other time, perhaps. But that triggered a thought in my mind. It triggered a thought in my mind, and and that's where the title of this sermon comes from: Jump Start. It, it just it kind of got me thinking, and I hope it's from God, because <clears throat> you know sometimes it's hard to build your own illustrations. Um, so look at your notes. When it was all said and done. I jump-started the truck, the engine was in great shape. Because you know, you, you start having thoughts, is the starter going out? Is the alternator out? Um, what could possibly have happened? I, I'm thinking that I run over a stick and break something. Um, you know, Beyond those two parts, three parts, that's pretty much all I can name. Starter, um, alternator, oh, I know water pump, and uh, battery. That's probably about it. And I've never changed any of them by myself successfully. Uh, except a battery once or twice after i borrowed some tools at a auto parts store so you know it's it's way beyond me you know if it it won't start that's it Um, so i need help i was rescued but it turns out my engine was fine there was absolutely nothing wrong with my engine and and my thought is well i'm gonna have to buy a new battery obviously it went dead needs a new battery well come to find out there's nothing wrong with my battery battery was in great shape it's gonna last me uh, several more years problem was, and I and I knew this right off the bat, my, my lights were left on, and all the stored energy in the battery drained out. So it, it drained out enough that the lights still worked, the radio still played, that kind of stuff still happened, the door still dinged when I open it, but there wasn't enough juice flowing to start the car. And so my battery was fine. So the engine was fine, the battery was fine. I had just left my battery with no reserve, and that's the blank there, no reserve. Number four, if you're following, I changed very little in the mechanical sense, but I did fix the problem. So I had a major problem. My wife and I were out in the woods, in the dark, in the cold, on a road that no one would just happen to drive down. And we needed rescued. But the fix of the problem was very, very simple. Basically, we had to clean the terminals adjust the post grips, and give it a charge. And everything's been fine since. So we changed very little. It costs very little. Number five, what I gave my battery was a boost or a little help getting back on track. It was a course correction, okay? It was a boost. It was just a push in the right direction, just a little burst of energy that it needed to get the charge built back up so it could start the car. And that's kind of what we're looking at. That's that's the illustration. That's the end of the illustration. It's not going to go any farther. Um, we are going to try to give ourselves a little boost, a little course correction, a little reminder of important things in this next two weeks. So this is literally a part one and part two. We're going to get halfway through today, and we're going to finish next week. So again, in your notes, why are we talking about the church needing a jump start? Because when I say we need a jump start, you might think we're broken. You might think our battery's dead, our alternator's not working, our starter's not working. So I want to start by number one saying we don't need anything new. We don't need anything new to be successful as a church. Now we might pray for more people, we might we might update our facilities, we might train ourselves, we might study more, we might do things, but we don't need anything new. What do we need? We need what we already have. That's A. We have the Holy Spirit. Who guides, who strengthens, we have the spiritual gifts that he's enabled us to do the ministry, we have scripture that guides us, we have God's provision that allows us to act on his behalf. And you've heard me say, dozens of times, God will never ask us to do anything that he's not already prepared to provide us for. So we don't have to worry about how we're going to do it, we just need to worry about doing it if God's called us to it. So we don't need anything new. B, we're not broken, we don't need to be replaced, and we're not outdated. Our methods aren't outdated. Our music's not outdated. The Bible's not outdated. Christianity is not outdated. Now, if you listen to the world, they're going to tell you religion is outdated. Christianity is on the top of the list of outdated religion. And worshiping God is, is, is ludicrous. It's beyond comprehension. But I'm telling you, it's, it's not. It's not broken. doesn't need replaced. It's not outdated. Number two, we need a jump start because we're a church full of people. We're a church full of people. Look around, people. You're people. What do people do? Well, they do a lot of things. (laughs) We get on each other's nerves. We make mistakes. We bring baggage along with us. We have great ideas that don't turn out to be great. We have great ideas that we miss because we don't see them correctly. We pray for things we shouldn't pray for. I mean, we're just people. You know what people are. And, And a group of people together, there's... There's going to be things. There's going to be things going on. So we need a, a jump start, a, a refocus, a, a course correction, because we're people. Then we live in a sinful world. Okay, There's sin all around us. It's going to affect us in many ways. And we're being pressured by dozens of ungodly forces, both within and outside the church. It's easy sometimes to identify the forces outside the church. We, we call it the world, there's, there's all kinds of media, there's all kinds of philosophy, there's all kinds of worldviews that go against the Christian belief, but inside the church, inside Christendom, I, I use that word specifically because I didn't want to use church because I believe the true church will not have these things, but we have uh, universalism in Christendom, which is basically you don't really have to worry about people getting saved because everyone will eventually get to heaven. We have uh, prosperity gospel, which means that God will reward you if you're faithful, and and you will be healthy, wealthy, and wise no matter what. So you just plan for it. Then we have the poverty gospel, which means in order to in order to worship God, you have to live in poverty. Both are incorrect. Uh, we have name it and claim it. We have the spoken word. We have all kinds of stuff that's in Christendom. Christendom. It's it's just out there. It's part of the label. People hear the word christian any of those things can be included so we are people affected by sin we live in a sinful world with sin all around us swarming us often trying to get us to partake and enjoy and at least uh, approve of then we have the pressures of dozens of un- ungodly forces so we need a jump start sometimes just because we're we're working hard and all these things are working against us number 3 why do we need a jump start? Because we'd be foolish to think that refocus, recommitment, rejuvenation, renewal, and reinvestment are bad things to desire. You know, the new year's coming. That's part of the motivation here, too. The new year is often thinking of what, what needs to change, what needs to build, what can I adjust in my life, what can I do to make it better, start something, end something, that kind of stuff. And, and, and we need to do that as a church. We need to refocus. We need to recommit. We need to double down on the things that God's called us to do and ask Him what He might want us to do in place of or or in addition to. And we need to kind of just say, you know what, God, I'm in. Uh, You know, may have floundered a bit, but I'm in. Or you say, I have been in and I will continue to be in. It works for all of us. And then number four, we have the fear of the unknown. The fear of the unknown has, has raised its ugly head a lot in the last two years. Uh, We have fears being pushed on us from all directions. We have unwanted attacks and pressures, unwanted attacks from people who say things they shouldn't say, do things they shouldn't do, spread rumors and lies. We have unwanted attacks from worldly sources, governments, media, um, even neighborhoods sometimes. We have unwanted attacks and pressures and the forces of evil are at work to discourage us. Why do we need a restart? Because we can easily be discouraged. We can, we can look around us and we can ask the question, is it working? Does it matter? Am I making a difference? And we need to answer those questions. So there's, there's lots of stuff working to discourage us from serving God at full potential. So that's why the idea of a jump start seemed like a good thing. Uh, A recharge, an an infusion of energy. And so Romans 12, 2 says this. It says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And I chose that verse because it has the word transformed. It also identifies the two sides. There's the world... And there's God. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you can test and approve what God's will is. If we're in the world and of the world, we're not going to know God's will. So we have to be transformed. A change, a difference. We have to pick a side and stay on it. Colossians 2, eight says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world spiritual forces so so many things want to be spiritual nowadays everybody has a spiritual side people that are doing horrible things with their life say oh i'm a very spiritual person which maybe they know what that means i don't necessarily know what that means for them but spiritual forces are out there we have false religions we have cults we have watered down presentations this kind of thing these spiritual forces And it says rather than on Christ. There's that contrast again. We have the the philosophies of the world, human traditions, elemental spiritual forces that are all other than Christ. So we want to focus our attention on what Christ would do and what Christ would say. So turn your papers over. Now to Revelation chapter 2. We have seven letters to seven churches written by John the Apostle from exile on the island of Patmos. These letters were written to specific churches, but each letter was written to be read by all seven churches. In other words, there were not seven separate letters sent to the seven churches. All seven letters were sent to all seven churches, and all seven letters to all seven churches are included in the book of Revelation. And, and so it's really easy to draw the conclusion, because that's exactly what was meant to happen. We draw the conclusion that these letters to these churches were also meant to be read by us and our churches. And so there's a lot of encouragements, and there's a lot of warnings. And so that's where we want to spend our time today. So I don't have time to read the entire two chapters, but we're going to pick some verses out. And so I'm not teaching the passage in and of itself, we're topically looking at what these passages share with us. So we'll, we'll get to them eventually, and we'll teach these in a verse-by-verse verse nature. But let's look at encouragements first, and we'll look at chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. It says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know, you ca- I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Now, there's a whole sermon right there, but let's just highlight a few things. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. You know, if someone came up to you at your job and they said, yeah, I've noticed you're a hard worker. I noticed you don't quit. You don't give up, even when there's a difficult challenge in front of you. I, I see that you finish the job. I see that you stick around to the end. You're not a short-timer or a shortcutter. You would raise your head up and you'd say, Thank you. Appreciate that. Thanks for noticing. Well, that's what God in this letter says to this church. You're a you're hard-working church. You persevere. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. You don't put up with garbage. You don't put up with wicked people trying to influence the church. You've tested those who claim to be apostles and are not. You've compared what they've said to Scripture. You've determined if it's true or not. You've done that work and you've found them false. You find false prophets false. You find false teachings false. You do the hard work. You examine the Scriptures. Verse 3. You have persevered. You've not given up. You've made it. You've endured hardship. You've suffered for my name. And you're, you haven't grown weary. You haven't got tired of it. And, and that's a That's a great thing to be said about a church. Now in your notes for a while, there's no blanks to be filled in because I just want you to hear these things. Here's here's the encouragement for us that I've taken from that passage in your notes. Keep doing good work in my name. That's what Jesus would be saying. Keep doing good work in my name. Keep serving. Keep loving. Keep helping. Keep evangelizing. Don't give up or grow weary. Keep on trusting. Keep on having faith. Second line, be faithful to the Word. Trust the Bible. Continue to battle false teachers. Name them if you have to. Explain the falseness of their teaching. Offer the truth. Don't just attack someone. Don't just don't just call them out, but explain why they're false and, and offer the truth. Be faithful. Continue the battle. And then don't grow weary. Don't grow weary of hardship. Remember last week, we talked about opposition will come if you're faithfully serving God, don't grow weary of that opposition. It's coming, but it's temporary. Okay, you, you can endure it because of me. So that's, that's the first encouragement. Keep doing good work in my name. Don't give up or grow weary. Be faithful. Continue the battle. Identify the false teachers. Teach your people how to identify false teachers. Don't grow weary when hardship comes chapter 2, verse 9, then says, I know your afflictions and your poverty. This is another church. I know your afflictions and your poverty. Okay? Yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful. Even to the point of death. And I will give you life as your victor's crown. An affliction is a, a personal difficulty. It's, it's truly affecting you as an individual. It's a, a spiritual sickness, if you will. And, and in poverty, you're struggling. You're struggling to make it. It says yet you are rich. Because you know that you have the gospel. You have understanding of scripture. You have the Holy Spirit. You have each other. You have the church you're rich I know about the slander I know people are telling lies about you I know they're not representing the facts I know they're going behind your back I know they're saying things that shouldn't be said here in particular they say they're Jews and they're not but they are a synagogue of Satan so they're not acting like Jews they're acting like followers of Satan it says don't be afraid you are going to suffer but don't be afraid the devil will put some of you in prison to test you some of you will be persecuted some of you will even face death. He says, be faithful, and I will give you the victor's crown. That's eternity. That's, that's your, your reward in heaven. So when you know it's whatever Satan throws at you, it's short-lived in comparison to eternity. Whatever you're facing as an individual, whatever we face as a church, whatever your family faces, it's short-lived compared to eternity, and we can get through it. Spiritual riches and future reward are worth any persecution you suffer. So keep your eyes on the prize, which is God and eternity. Keep my eyes, through communion, on the one who saved me. Keep my eyes on eternity as my hope for the future. Whatever Satan has in store on earth, it's short-lived. The spiritual riches and future reward are for eternity, and they are so worth it. Verse 12 and 13 says, These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Now that's a strong statement. He's saying, I know where you live. It's like Satan himself lives right here in this town. That's that's bad news for these folks in Pergamum. It says, yet you remain true to my name. Satan himself is at work in your town, yet you Remain true to my name. You did you did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Not even when our friends were persecuted, when Antipas is put to death, not even when your own life is in jeopardy, not even then did you disregard me. Not even then did you not be true to my name. So the encouragement for us is remain faithful and true to my name, that's Jesus. Even if Satan himself seems to be in charge and anti-God forces seem to be winning the battle. You hear that? Even if it seems like Satan is in charge and it seems like Satan is winning, remain faithful. That's our calling. That's our charge. Remain, Remain faithful. The key word in there is seem we need to step back and take a, a picture, a look at the big picture. It may seem as if Satan's winning. When Jesus was on the cross, it may have seemed like Satan was winning. When he was in the grave, it may have seemed like Satan was winning. But when he rose from the dead, it was pretty obvious who was winning. And we are gone along long ways, and it may seem like it's been an awful long time since we saw Jesus... Doing miracles like that. And it may seem like Satan has so much influence in the world today. And he has so much power. And he's he's doing so much with so many people. But it only seems that way because our sovereign God is in charge and he is working out the details for his glory and his purpose. And everything else that you read in Revelation, if you've got there yet and you read through the Bible in a year, or if you've read it before, Everything in Revelation is still to come, and we will see the glory of God portrayed to the earth. His glory even spoken to the earth, and He will sit on the throne. So it may seem like Satan is doing something positive on His behalf, but it's not the case. It's all God. Chapter two, verse nineteen, it says nineteen and twenty. Your notes, but twenties for later. Chapter 2, verse 19 says, I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. I know your deeds. It, you know that, that's, Almost every time he says, I know your deeds. He says, I know what you're doing. Right now it's positive. I know what you're doing and you're doing some good stuff. But you, it's going to be negative later. He says, I know what you're doing. I, I am aware. I am watching. I know your deeds, your love and faith. You're loving people, you're you're acting in faith, you're living faithfully, your service, you're serving me, you're serving others, you're serving the church, your perseverance. You're not giving up when things are difficult. You're not giving up when someone lets you down. You're not giving up when you do it again and again and again. Your service and your perseverance. And that you are now doing more than you did at first. You know, that's a characteristic of a Christian life that's growing is is what I was doing is no longer enough. I I have this need to do more. I have a need to serve in a greater capacity, to serve in more ways than I was before. So in your notes, what I take from this, the encouragement to us, is create more love. Be more loving. Love more people. Create more faithfulness. How can I step out in faith? How can I show that I'm living by faith? How can I pray for faithfulness? Serve more. Create more service. Where where can I be involved? Where can I lend a hand? Where can I do my part? And then persevere. Don't give up. Don't be discouraged. Don't quit. As you grow, more mature. So you're going to create more of these things as you grow. Not before you grow, but as you grow. So you're going to build. Okay, We're never going to stop growing. If we do, we become stagnant. And then then we start to stink. We become stinky Christians. Right? We don't want to be a Christian that walks in the room and and gives everyone a a sour look on their face because now you're here. Right? We want to add these things and grow in these things as we we build our own faith. Let's read chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. Same church this time. It says, Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teachings... Okay, whose teachings? Jezebel's teachings, back from verse 20. And have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. So we don't know what Jezebel taught, but apparently it has something to do with deep secrets. Probably something like, I know things you don't know, and I can teach you them. I know things about God you don't know, and I'd be happy to share them with you. I know ways to connect with the spiritual side of things that you don't know, and I'll show them to you. Deep secrets. You have not learned Satan's so-called Deep secrets. So I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. So when I read that, back to your notes, it says don't give up. Keep working and serving until Jesus comes back. He says hold on. He says I I see that you're not falling for the false teacher. I see that you're not getting involved in these false teachings, these deep secrets. So what do I want you to do? I want you to hold on. Hold on to what you have. Keep working, keep serving, keep doing what you're doing until I come get you. That's the encouragement for us. Chapter 3, verse 8 says, I know your deeds. Again, I'm watching. I'm well aware. I, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name probably inferring that they're small. They're a small group. They're a small group. I know you don't have a lot of power. You don't have a lot of pull where you're at. But you've kept my word and have not denied my name. Verse 9. I will make those who are in the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep from you the hour of trial that is going to come. On the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. So what are they being praised for? For keeping my word? That would be the scriptures for us. Paying attention to, listening to, obeying the scriptures. Not denying my name. How do you deny Christ's name? Well today, it's, it's not acknowledging who I am and who I belong to. It's flying under the radar sometimes. It's not speaking truth when I should, when prompted by the Holy Spirit... One day, it might be, and there is places in the world today where you're actually told, uh, deny Christ or die. It's happened in the United States, by the way. It's happened more times than you'd think. And some people look right at the person and say, I cannot deny Christ. And sometimes it's cost them their life. Around the world, it's more frequent and it happens often. It may come to that in our world. I don't know. But we can deny his name in many ways by disobeying him, by not listening to him by going along with the crowd when we know it's wrong, lots of ways we can deny his name but it says you have kept my word and not denied my name and then down in verse 10 he says you have kept my command to endure patiently endure patiently so in your notes even when you're weak even when you're small hold fast to God's word God's word is the source of information that will never let you down It has never been proven wrong. It never will be proven wrong. It always has the best idea, your best move in mind. It's always good for you. It's never contrary. Hold fast to God's Word, and then openly identify as a child of God. Openly identify. Doesn't mean you flaunt your Christianity. Doesn't mean you get a really big cross and get your little Pope hat and wear it around so that everyone knows you're religious. You don't have to wear robes and, and bless everything and And, you know, you don't have to be over the top. You don't have to be obnoxious. But you also don't hide it. When it's time to pray, you pray. When it's time to praise, you praise. When it's time to seek God, you seek God. You let people know, hey, you know what? That's a great opportunity. I need to think and pray about this. I'm going to take two or three days to pray about it. Then I'll come back and give you an answer. Not just let me think about it. Okay? You openly identify as a child of God. You don't hide it. You don't flaunt it, but you don't hide it. They'll see it. It will be clear. And then 9 and 10, chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. Well, I already read that. It says, hold on to what you have. Hold on to the promises, your ministries, your hope, your salvation. Hold on to the gospel. Keep my command to endure. Don't give up. Well, those are encouragements. There encouragements in that, in these passages to these churches, God said, I'm really happy with these things. I'm watching, I know who you are, I know what you do, and I'm really happy with these things. I'm really happy that you're not following false teachers, and you're not following false teachings. I'm really happy that you're sticking to my word, and you're not denying my name. And even though you're outnumbered and outpowered, you're faithful. I'm really happy for these things. So these are our encouragements. These are things we need to do as well. But there's some warnings. We'll go back to chapter two. And this time we'll look at verse four. It says, "Yet I hold this against you: you have forsaken the love you had at first." Well, there's a lot of different ideas about what that phrase means, and it may be am- ambiguous to the point of it may mean different things to different people. But for our sake, in your notes, do not forsake your first love. Live like someone who has been saved. You know, I mentioned that we kind of forget, if we don't do communion, that, we're, that we have a Savior who died on the cross for our sins, who literally died on the cross for our sins, whose blood was literally shed, whose heart probably burst at the point of his death, who wore a crown of thorns. We forget that God Almighty, who reigned in heaven, who sat on a throne, changed location and took on a human body so that he could die on the cross. We need to remember what he's done, not take for granted our salvation, not have an attitude that says, yeah, that's great. What else? to remember don't don't forsake your first love live like someone who's been saved live like someone who knows that you and I individually and specifically were on the brink of a liquid flaming hell on the brink of falling in when he saved us live like that he says to these people these are the people who said you work hard you persevere you don't tolerate false teachers You've got some really good stuff here, but you've forsaken your first love. Like, you, you guys have—you guys are so smart doing such great things, you forgot where we started. You forgot who I am. You forgot I'm your Savior, your Lord. You forgot what I did. So don't, don't forget that stuff. Chapter 2, verse 14 and 15 this time. It says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. These are the people that Jesus was living on their doorstep. He said, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin. That's the key. The false teacher enticed the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual uh, immorality. Likewise, you you also have those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Okay, we don't know what the Nicolaitans taught, but the very next word is repent. So we know it was bad, it was incorrect. And so what do we get from this in your notes? We don't listen to, we don't follow, we don't act on false teachings. Why? Because false teachers and false teachings lead you to sin. Not because we don't like them, not because we want to argue about what the Bible says, not because we want to be right, which means they have to be wrong but because false teachers and false teachings lead you to sin. These teachings led them to sin, enticed the Israelites to sin. Okay? Chapter 2, verse 20, continues on this, says, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food offered to idols. Sacrifice to idols. Again, it's the same message. Don't listen to, you follow false prophets and false teachers. Why? Again, because they lead you into sin. That must be an important statement because he makes it several times. Chapter 3, verse 1 and 2 says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of God. So there's two warnings there. He says, you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. In other words, you're a fake. You're a hypocrite. You put on a good show, you put on a good face, you say the right things, but you're not living them. You're not believing them. You're not doing them. Okay, don't be, don't be fakers and hypocrites with your religion, okay? Okay? And then I added verse 2 this morning so you can add it in your notes. It says you 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 have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of God. They're not completing what they started. They're not following through on their commitments. They're starting but not finishing. Their deeds are unfinished. So I added in my notes, there's starters who don't finish or follow through. That's a warning. Don't be fakers, don't be hypocrites, don't start something and not finish it. And then chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, says, I know your deeds. Again, I'm watching you. You are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, there's a little context you need to understand this. This the city of Laodicea sat at the bottom of, of two mountains. And one mountain was famous for their hot springs. And you could go to these hot springs and you could bathe in them and soak in them. You could breathe the air around them and it was medicinal. It was healing. It was soothing. It was, it was like massage therapy in water. and water. And people would go there and it was, it was, the whole city was built around this. And it was a tourist area. And so their warm water was was very good for people. And then on the mountain, a little bit to the other side, there was cool, crisp springs where clean water came out, and it was cold water, and it was known for being just having a great flavor. It was very refreshing. So you had medicinal, therapeutic water over here that people enjoyed being in, and you had crisp, clean water over here that people enjoyed drinking. But when it got to Laodicea, it came down the, the mountain ranges and it joined together at Laodicea. It wasn't cool and crisp and it wasn't warm and medicinal. It was kind of blah and kind of icky. And it was a great illustration. He says, don't be like this water, all wishy-washy, mixed up, not, not being anything, trying to be everything. Be, be like the water up there or be like the water over there. Be helpful. Be therapeutic, be medicinal, be be someone that helps the cause. Or over here, be a, a drink of fresh water. Be fresh, be clear. But don't be wishy-washy, confusing, irritable, or annoying Christians. We don't need any more of those. So here's a summary of, of, of part number one of our sermon. What, how, kind of joining these things together, this is what I want to say. Number one, studying God's Word is more important now than it ever has been. Studying God's Word now, understanding God's Word now is more important now than it ever has been. Uh, There was a day when most Americans at least lived by a code of ethics that agreed with Christian morality. It was an expectation. It was taught in schools. It was taught in daycare. It was taught in the homes. It was expected that you would behave. It was expected that you would agree with certain things and live a certain way. Those expectations are gone. Kids grow up today and, and don't know who Christ is, don't know what Christmas is, don't know what Easter is, don't know right from wrong because they've never been told and they've never been shown by example. They, they have to figure these things out. They don't know what true faith looks like. They don't know what true religion looks like. So all the doors are open to them. So studying God's word is more important now than ever because truth and deception is countered by God's word. The truth of God's word counters the deception of the world. The true teachings of God's word counters the false teachings of false teachers. Studying God's word is more important than ever before because we need it to move forward correctly. Number two, never forget where you were saved from, your position in Christ, or where you were headed. That's your past, your present, and your future. Never forget where you were saved from. Maybe you were saved from a life of sin. Maybe you were a sinner sinning and were saved out of a life of sin. Never forget where you were saved from. You were saved from hell. Okay? Your current position in Christ is you are redeemed. You are made whole. You are made new. You're a new creation. Now you have meaning and purpose. You are an ambassador. You're a light. You're a child of God. You're a brother and sister of christ you're part of the body of christ on earth you're part of the church you have a gifting you have ministry you have a calling that's your present position in christ and where you're headed you're headed to eternity you're headed to be in the presence of god forever to receive your heavenly rewards which will be good okay get get the idea of of clouds and harps out of your mind And and wings. That's all a bunch of malarkey. That's all Satan trying to water down heaven so it doesn't look like somewhere we want to go. Heaven is going to be absolutely awesome. It's going to be incredible. I wish I had time to go into that, but I don't. Okay? So know where you've come from. Know where you're at. Know where you're going. That will generate the hope. That will motivate you. That will give you what it takes to keep on going. Persevere. Number three, don't give up. Even when it's hard... Painful and confusing. And by the way, there will be hard, painful, and confusing times. There will be hard, painful, and confusing spiritual times. There will be hard, painful, and confusing physical times. There will be hard, painful, and confusing mental times. They are coming. Okay? Don't give up. The reward is so much greater than the pain and hardship. The reward is so much greater. And the hope is only found in Christ. And number four, this is going to sound weird. The participation trophy is the biggest trophy in heaven. Okay? The participation trophy is the biggest trophy in heaven, but you have to earn it. It's not just handed out because you showed up. It's not just handed out because you happen to be on the team. The participation trophy goes to those who are actively serving actively worshiping, actively praying actively learning, actively being a part of the church they're in the game, they're the ones who get into heaven and God says welcome my good and faithful servant faithful means you've, you've been on board the whole time, you didn't give up you didn't quit okay, you overcame discouragement, you overcame trials you overcame tribulation you overcame attacks so normally we dog on the participation trophy we laugh at it Today I'm telling you it's the best one of all because I was in the game, on the team, doing my job, and I earned it. And it's going to be a big one. Let's pray. Father, we're halfway through. Hopefully we've laid a foundation. We've, we've identified encouragements where you have said good job to these churches. And in that good job you've said do this to us. Hopefully we are doing many of these things. We can see that happening, so we can be encouraged. We can also be challenged. And Lord, there's warnings, and we've tried hard to heed these warnings. We've tried hard to listen and obey when these warnings come. If we're falling short, help us to stand up. But Lord, I pray that we would make your word the most important thing, and we would never forget where we came from, who we are now, and where we're going that we would not give up when things get hard that we should expect them to get hard and also expect you to come through for us and I pray that we never stop serving we never stop being a part of your team that we do hear those words, well done my good and faithful servant thank you for these encouragements and these warnings and I pray that next week when we turn to application we can really bring in some things that will help us So help me during this week to put that together in a healthy and effective way. Bless this in Jesus' name. Amen.